Magazine, covering Maine's boats, harbors, arts, and architecture since 1987. Bringing the coast as close as the mailbox, on the web at mainboats.com. From the cotton fields to the cotton club, from the back roads to the boardwalk, the Rhythm Ranch is the intersection of a hundred different musical highways from swing, classic country, rhythm and blues, early rock and roll and more. I'm your host, Jay Peterson. Join me Tuesdays at 2 p.m. on the Rhythm Ranch, where we dig up a hundred years of music by the roots. See you back at the ranch, Tuesdays at 2. Boat Talk is made possible in part by the Red Fern Boat Company of Hancock County. Since 1982, offering maintenance, storage, and restoration for power boats and sailboats. Also offering dockage on Mount Desert Island, redfernboat.com. The time is 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online around the world at WERU.org. Boat Talk with your hosts Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Good morning, mateys. It's time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio WERU-FM. Around the world at WERU.org. The Boat Talk is a uh, call-in show for people contemplating things naval with your old rusty anchors Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. And gratefully joined again by our color commentator Giffy Full for uh, one hour of uh, phone calls. Hopefully, maybe you might even consider calling in. If you have any sort of uh, boat problems or boat conundrums that you'd like uh, some opinions on, give us a call. We'd be glad to talk about uh, personal boat problems. And we're wicked opinionated. Anyway, Boat Talk is a a show that contemplates all kinds of things, Naval, such as um, what do pirates and genetically modified corn have in common? Stumped. They're both mutineers. Oh, that's a good one. They just had the Pirate Festival down to Eastport, Maine, and by all accounts, it was a raging success. They said they brought 10,000 people to, to town, and whether or not they uh, bought anything when they're there, they figure a bunch of them will be back, and everybody's pretty happy. That's cool. Yeah, there's yeah. probably some hidden treasure there now that people are going to find. There's been a couple of pirate things going up and down the coast, but anyway... Uh, we are doing boat talk this morning, and we hope to be talking about tidal power for a little bit at about quarter past. But we got a bunch of other uh, uh, clippings and subjects to talk about. Um, like to, uh, if we could, just start by uh, uh, saying how uh, grateful and proud we were to be able to host the World Championship Boatyard Dog Trials at the Main Boats Homes and Harbor Show back on. Uh, what good uh, fun that was! Yeah, we had a great little morning. Um, we had a couple little uh, dingo. Uh, totally according to plan. <laughs> you got to rub it in, aren't you? <laughs> when we went to start, okay, and, and mind you, we're down on this little float, kind of surrounded, uh, separated from the dogs and stuff. Float and, with lots of nice-looking boats all around. Yeah, and away from the sound table, which is up a ramp, it's dead, dead low tide, big low tide. Um, hundreds of people lining the ramp and the docks and the floats. I mean, you know, 
So, uh, and we got two little uh, Mr. Microphones and walkie-talkies. But my Mr. Microphone is being used by somebody else at first, and somebody's going to run it down to me. And so it's time to start, and we got to announce the parade starting up in the parking lot. Shriners and their boats, uh, boat cars, and the sea princess and the dogs parading around. Where's Alan? And uh, so he's got his walkie-talkie. Alan, are you there? He's not answering. He's wandered down the boat. The looking at the boats. Looking at boats. <laughs> and uh, he's nowhere in sight. And so they're all over me. Start, start, start. And I'm going, well, I don't have a microphone. <laughs> and they're going, well, go to the sound table. And it's like, well, there's a couple hundred people on a very steep ramp between me and that. I run up there all out of breath. And they're going, start, start, start. And I'm going, I don't know what to say. Because <laughs> Alan always starts, right? And where's Alan? Call him on the radio again. So I had to start. And that got me nerved up. But the rest of it went fine until we lost the sound in the middle of it for a minute. Somebody kicked a plug. Yeah, we had a little technical problem. That was minor, though, compared to the amount of fun. And great animals, too, that, that did, their, did their thing of uh, all sorts of variety acts, besides the fact that each dog had to uh, complete a little obstacle course to begin with. They all put on little various performances. The Bangor Daily wrote it up that the uh, event was the top draw for the uh, Main Boats and Harbor show, and that... The six contestants and their handlers took the floats one by one as hundreds of observers and announcers cheered them on. Oh, yes. And uh, it was just too cool, and we've already been asked back, and, uh, you know, we're going to do it again next year. We thank Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors magazine. It was great. It's great, and it's also a good benefit for the uh, animal shelters in the area, too. It's yeah. good fundraiser for them, and they certainly do need the help. There's a lot. If you're considering an animal, it's a good time to go to the shelter and take one now. There's lots of great animals there now. Yeah. Finest kind. Now, uh, I've been getting a lot of sea time lately, just back from Newport, Rhode Island, late last night. And uh, we have, I've talked about it on uh, the Barefoot Blues Hour a couple of times, run into a couple of uh, incredible concentrations of whales right off the end of Cape Cod. One, one Sunday morning, we run into probably two dozen whales, all humpbacks right at the same time, absolutely surrounded. And at one point, we had three of them just right on our bow, about 50 feet away. And... Uh, you know, as I said to Tom, now would be a good time to go hard to port, Tom. <laughs> and we had to dodge him. But here is a, a note from the Bangor Daily News. Collision with whale may have flipped boat. And this was a, a tourist boat from Campobello Island, New Brunswick, in Head Harbor Passage by uh, Eastport. And uh, they report that they struck a whale and the boat capsized and five people went into the water. They were all rescued by other boats. Hmm. Yeah, how about that? So uh, you do apparently have to dodge those whales. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm just uh, considering the uh, boat dock cruise coming up. I don't think we'll have any whales in our way on that one. But we could hope, man. No, uh, we, we are. In case you don't know it, we're going to be having a second boat dock cruise this year. It's going to happen on Saturday, October second, going starting out at four o'clock from Northeast Harbor and going coming back in just about dark. The uh, all the other ones we've done have been such a good time, and yeah. nobody's had a bad time yet. We have. Uh, Sold them all out. It's BYOB and uh, Potluck, and we highly recommend yep. that you get some tickets about as quick as you can and join us on that. And it's just a matter of, again, who's going to be on the boat. Right. We'd just call, like it to be you. Just call Chris at 469-6600. And speaking of calls, we do have a caller here on Boat Talk. Good morning, and welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. This is Captain Yo. Oh, Captain Yo. Thanks for uh, pro providing the, the music on the last Boat Talk cruise. Oh, well, you're welcome. I hope I can do that again. But I wanted to share a little whale story. You had just remarked about the the unlikely possibility of encountering whales on the Sea Princess. Well, <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, I was out sailing my latest schooner model, the Mark A. McClellan, 
named after Captain Mark McClellan from Rockland, who, the listeners may remember, went through the ice of Chickiwaukee around Christmas time. So anyway, I built this model schooner and named it after him, and I was out in Western Way between uh, Sutton and Mansett Shore on a close reach on a fairly stiff southeasterly, and I was paying attention to the model, rowing along in my little um, apprentice shop peapod, and I heard this noise on the other side, and I looked, and there was a 20-foot minky had come up right next to me, within the reach of my oar. Wow. And boy, didn't that get my heart pumping. Because the peapod's kind of a frail little thing, com- particularly compared to a whale. And so I-, I watched him as he slowly sank, had big white patches on his fins and a tiny little thing on his back. And uh, I was getting my breathing back under control, and he circled around and came up again right in the same spot. And I was reminding myself how gentle whales are. (laughs) (laughs) Please, please. So I kind of got to start when you said that thing about people being dumped into the water by a whale collision. Well, um, I find whales to be playful. Well, I sort of felt that, too, and I had a feeling that from underneath... The pea pod probably looks more like yep. a whale mm. than any other vessel yeah, out there. Yeah, let's go there. bump up against it and see if it wants to play. And I sort of, well, I had the impression he was trying to make contact, but he was being so gentle and peaceful, but I could have reached out and touched him. It was that close. Nice. Well, I just did have a uh, reach-out-and-touch encounter with an offshore uh, gull, a turn, big turn gull, an offshore, about 50 miles uh, if you go straight out from Portsmouth. We're headed for Cape Cod, and uh, in the morning, this uh, gull came by, and he almost got uh, tangled up in the jig and the jib and the uh, starboard uh, uh, rigging. Okay, and then he's hovering over the back of the boat. I'm looking up at the radar, and he's just right over my head in, uh, in one place, and uh, hanging there in the air. And uh, you know, so I lost him. I sat down, and he landed on the starboard uh, lifelines. Right next to my, uh, I'm, I'm sitting on the starboard side under the Dodger, facing in. And I caught him out of the corner of my eye. Now, he landed on a little canvas sausage that was covering the line, the lifeline to make it comfortable to, to lean on. But it rolled, and he lost his balance, and they flapped his wings. This is a good-sized bird. We have pictures. We'll put it up on the website. And uh, I turned around and put my hand up, and I touched his wing. And he looked all surprised and flew off and came back and then sat on our bimini for three and a half hours, and he went face-to-face with him and say, morning, Jonathan Livingston Seagull, I presume. <laughs> yeah. I mean, are you hungry? Are you tired? Uh, we're going to New York. You, you like to come? I mean, you know, what's happening today? <laughs> and he rode with us about three and a half hours and flew off. And we got pictures. We'll put them up. So anyway, touched him. Wow, that's kind of Well, cool. I just wanted to say that uh, there is a chance we'll see some whales on the Boat Talk cruise. Thanks for running the show today, guys. All right. Thank Good you, morning, Captain yo. Yeah. Oh, dear, we're doing Boat Talk this morning. This is a call-in show, and we like it best when we talk to you, uh, 1-866-625-9378. Phone's ringing again, and otherwise we've got a pile of stories and articles to go through here until we talk to, hopefully, John Sutherland about tidal power down to Eastport in a few minutes. Nobody there. Here's a nice little uh, article, too. Distressed swimmer was only training. Told the story on Boat Talk a little while ago, my friend Tom. Tom and his brother took their little wooden skiff to a pond in Rockland and uh, rode out and were swimming out of the skiff, horsing around. They tipped it over, and they're, they're uh, playing king of the skiff, and they bailed her out to see if they could get back in. Yeah. And there's people on shore waving at them. And now there's a police car on shore with its lights on. Now two police cars, 
And they had to go into shore and were almost charged with creating a panic. So here's a story of a guy who was swimming in Rockland Harbor and was observed by a lady from shore, and then she couldn't see him. Uh, she called the Coast Guard and the Harbor Master. They searched for two hours before they found him sitting in a boat, perfectly happy he was training for a marathon. Huh. Well, I don't know, I guess it might go into the safe Better to be safe than sorry. Sort of I thing, guess but, so, but, uh, but, you know, yeah. people do go swimming sometimes. So uh, Giffy has uh, put in uh, a little um, – oh, wait, sorry, we have another phone call. Let's go to that first. <laughs> sorry, good morning and welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. This is Elise Cohn from Liberty. Hi, Elise. And I got an outboard engine question. Oh, good. I got a Honda four-stroke that doesn't like to start when it's cold. You got any tips on how to encourage it in the morning? Keep it warm. How am I going to do that? <laughs> they have to take it under the covers and such. Sounds like my old car. You help me with your car, and I'll help you with your outboard. Was it I bring a thermos of hot engine oil or something? Huh? That's a good question, Lisa. I love those things when they work, and when they don't, it gets real frustrating, doesn't it? It sure does. Yeah. And the four-stroke, of course, is a good rig. Now, the old uh, two-stroke engines is like your lawnmower engine, and it mixes oil into the cylinders as it goes and it exhausts the oil it actually throws oil right out the exhaust four stroke doesn't do that much cleaner engine um but uh they have been having and we've covered it on boat talk talked to bowden marine about that down in bar yeah, harbor i was going to say that too um fuel problems have been uh epidemic in outboards in the last year or two because of the ethanol that's been right. put in the fuel and it attracts water and uh it doesn't sound right off like you're having a water problem, but that'd be the first thing I'd think of. What kind of stabilizer are you, are you using? And do you? Uh, I just put fresh gas in with no stabilizer at all. Well, that's not yeah, recommended that nowadays. Yeah, that could be your that that would be the first thing that we, I think we'd all try is put in. We recommend Starbright Startron as it. Okay. Yeah, that's stabilizer. what Paul Bowden recommended. Uh, and again, the the uh, gas has water in it, uh, or, or the ethanol attracts water droplets. Water molecule will condense it out of out of the inside of your tank, mm -hmm. just for instance. And uh, once that mixes in, you're going to have a hard time starting it, no matter how warm it is. Yeah, yeah but when it's warm, it starts right up. So is it? Do you suppose it condenses out when it's cool, and then mixes in better when it warms up, or is it more just a an engine that doesn't want to? Again, you might not be having a fuel problem. Yeah. Um, we're, we like to make a little car talk joke around boat talk. Uh, uh, you know, the joke is, uh, you know, Alan and I splish and splash, not as funny as click and clack. And I uh, don't know as much about motors either. All right. Well, thanks for your tips on this. Elise, what do, you, what do you hang that thing on? Where do you go? What do you do? Uh, I got a little 19-foot eastern outboard. We just like to go gun-coaling with the family. Nice. Yeah, it's and did you get some time this summer? Not much. I had it for sale all season, and it never sold, so I was feeling sorry for myself and put it in the water. And just been having fun the last couple of weeks. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well, good for you. Uh, no good if you don't use them, you know. They <laughs> represent a lot of potential and, and dreams, but... Pierre Morris will do wonders for you. What's that? Pierre Morris will do wonders for you. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. I enjoy your show. Good morning, Elise. Nice to talk to you. <laughs> Yep, Boat Talk this morning, uh, 1 625 9378. We're coming up on uh, quarter pass, and we might be talking to John Sutherland from down to Eastport about tidal power. Amy's running the uh, telephone there, but here's a great little uh, note. Uh, Chambro Corporation up in Brewer uh, made a bunch of oil rig modules, and they put them on barges and shipped them to Texas. And that's uh, several hundred jobs manufacturing in Brewer, Maine. 
that was made possible by water transportation. They can't get those things to Texas they weigh, uh, you know, uh, what, 600 tons or so. And uh, that job ran out, and they laid a bunch of people off. They've got a new job building electrical room modules for a nickel mine in Newfoundland. And, again, they're going to send them by barge down the Penobscot River into Newfoundland. And they've hired back a couple hundred people. And uh, I'm telling you what, water transportation of goods, I think, is is just critical, you know. And uh, the infrastructure is we've got the water, you know. Yeah, we we need, should be doing more of it. I yep. couldn't agree more. And uh, – that is the way everything travels around the world. We don't make all that much stuff here anymore. And again, we don't have the fleet that takes those boats uh, most places. Uh, brings our, our Levi's and Bass shoes, uh, you know, back from uh, China <laughs> yeah. to the Walmart. We don't own the ships they even come on. So anyway, all in favor of, uh, you know. Well, one thing we are trying to do more locally here now is generate some electricity. And uh, I believe we have on the line now uh, Don from... Ma Ocean, Ocean Renewable, Renewable Power Research. Company down to uh, Eastport. Good morning. Good morning, and I, and and, and uh, it's John. I'm John, sorry, it's John sorry. Sutherland. Yeah, John Furland. John, John Furland. 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 All right. <laughs> and, how and how are you this morning? We are fine. And uh, terrific. You just had a very successful test of your uh, turbine down to Eastport. There, could you describe it and uh, say what's going on? Sure. Uh, we we have uh, a tidal energy project up off um, the Eastport Lubeck area, and uh, we've uh, been engaging in continued uh, technology development and environmental monitoring uh, and sampling and uh, trying to prepare ourselves for what uh, could possibly be in another year the first uh, grid connected uh, 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 underwater tidal energy power system uh, in the United States. So uh, we have a test uh, uh, project underway off a vessel that's moored um, in Cobscook Bay, and uh, we've been doing performance testing and overall systems testing, and uh, we generated grid-compatible power, and, and we're able to predict with accuracy um, the capability of the generator, and both were large milestones for us, and seem to sit at the stage well for what may happen for us next. John, I saw some pictures of this thing, and, and to me it looked like the uh, paddle wheel kind of on an old uh, you know, Mississippi River boat kind of thing. Yes, it, it does have that paddle wheel look to it. it it's uh, technically called a cross-flow turbine um, and uh, has a rectangular shape uh, um, within its framing. Uh, the turbines uh, have that uh, sort of barrel shape or or a paddle wheel type of shape, and um, uh, the uh, the system that we're currently testing it. Uh, if you think of uh, just the rectangular shape, it's 46 feet across, 14 feet deep, and weighs uh, just a little under 13 tons. Wow! Now here's the cool thing to me. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about windmills and stuff lately, and uh, the uh, tides are way more predictable than. The wind, the, the water is also much denser than the wind, correct? And you have an advantage when you're trying to generate power from it. Well, uh, water is over 800 times more dense than air. So, um, you know, scientifically, uh, you, you, you start with a little stronger position, and it allows the turbines to, uh, um, uh, to generate uh, power at, uh, you know, some lower speeds than would be needed uh, for wind turbines. But... 
you know, one thing to note here, we're at the very early stages of creating a new industry and the work that we're doing up in Eastport, it's very exciting uh, because we look at that area as uh, the, the Eastport Lubeck area as being the kitty hawk of tidal energy development. And we think what's happening with our work and with the uh, university's work uh, on the environmental side on our behalf and um, with the partnership with the community and the contractors is it's as important to tidal energy development globally, really, uh, as uh, Kitty Hawk was to aviation uh, over a century ago, um, and so we're uh, we're making these uh, small strides that are resulting in uh, uh, solid progress to make the advancement towards beginning to uh, put a turbine uh, in the water commercially that would be grid connected and hopefully would begin uh, a development uh, scenario that would. Will be many years in the making, and we'll initiate it all uh, in that in that East Port Lubeck area. John, didn't I see a article in the paper a while ago that the Irving Company down in St. John, New Brunswick, mind you, they built a great uh, big whopping port down there called Canaport, and they're styling themselves as a major energy hub. And uh, LNG is coming in there. They're rebuilding the power plant down to Point Lapro, the nuclear plant, and uh, it's a big oil port and so on. I heard in the paper that they gave up their interest in tidal energy, the Irving Company, recently without any comment of why. Is that true? And do you know anything about it? Well, uh, Irving had a contract with the province of New Brunswick to uh, assess the tidal energy potential for uh, several sites uh, in New Brunswick. And, and um, uh, they were teamed up uh, with, with some other uh, companies to do that work and decided after... I don't know, a year, 18 months or so, it might have been two years, um, that they uh, you know, just wanted to take a different direction strategically. And you're right, we, we don't know the reasons why. Uh, but uh, uh, we're very interested in, in uh, working on the Canadian side of the border, um, you know, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, um, northern Quebec, um, and uh, we're you know, using the work that we're doing in the East Port Lebec area is a way of, of uh, indicating what might be possible on the other side of the border. Um, New Brunswick, um, their, their state policies uh, in support of tidal energy development uh, aren't uh, at the same place the state of Maine uh, is. So uh, we continue to have a competitive advantage uh, within the state of Maine uh, because of that. But, uh, you know, we look forward to being able to do a, a project with with partners on the Canadian side. We, we would definitely would, would link up with uh, local companies and, and hopefully be in a community, a local community, that would really want to host uh, one of these projects and, and begin to initiate you know, a project on that side of the border as well. Sir, one of, one of the things that's important in, in my view is that the whole Northeast Coast has numerous, numerous ideal sites for power generation of this sort, it it does. Uh, uh, there's only uh, really a handful of places, you know, on the face of the earth where this is possible, and and in the United States, uh, Maine uh, is uh, is one of the top places, and the East Port Lebec area happens to be the best place on the East Coast of the United States where you have the the right tidal current velocity to uh, begin initiating a project. Uh, uh, and, and bringing this industry online. What's going to happen over time is there will be improvement in the technology and the generating uh, capability and eventually um, pro 
projects will make use of tidal currents that today aren't economically viable to harness uh, for electricity, uh, but in time will be. So, for example, uh, in, that, in that Washington County area, uh, the, the tidal current can reach up to six knots. And, and many developers uh, around the world are working in a <clears throat> three to six knot window uh, as a way of initiating um, the engineering of, of their uh, generators and turbine systems and, and to bring to market. Uh, eventually, you'll see the ability to, to harness more of the, uh, of the slower speeds. And, and um, so in time, uh, there will be other development opportunities in Maine on a small scale. It will be distributed generation for the purposes of um, providing uh, electricity to islands or riverfront communities or industrial facilities, uh, that sort of thing uh, on, a, on a smaller scale. John, uh, here's something else we ought to talk about. Boat talk all the time is unintended consequences and stuff. Here's an article that says, Tidal turbine being moved for urchin fishermen. And uh, you're getting out of the way of some draggers, I guess. Um, you got the thing moored to a boat. It hangs in the water. Um, there's lots of places you could put it. Any side effects? And, and what will these things uh, ultimately, um, they got to be anchored and tethered to something. Uh, there's got to be something on the surface, I presume. They're going to be in the way of navigation. Can you think anything else? Uh, do, uh, fish going to get chopped up in them? I mean, uh, what's the? Are there any downsides here? Well, let's let's uh, uh, pick at that uh, one by one here, based based on the question. Uh, we're, we're currently testing off a vessel that's moored, and and um, our our permit is up for expiration, and we have a need to continue some testing for a variety of reasons. So. Um, uh, we we don't want to be in the fisherman's way, uh, and we want to continue to work up there in a way that shows that this uh, uh, mixed use of, of the harbors uh, can continue. It already happens up there with a variety of industries. You know, that area, uh, County Eastport and Lubeck, it's, it's fishing. Uh, there's a port. Uh, there's the aquaculture industry. There's whale watch boats. Uh, uh, there's other recreational craft. Uh, and... Um, you know, we're, we're simply another marine use that's coming in, and it doesn't make sense to have one marine industry grow at the expense of others. So there, there needs to be a way of fitting in. And, and in, in most instances, the area of high current velocity tends to be where uh, draggers aren't dragging uh, because the, uh, the current uh, sweeps the bottom, and, and, and you don't have marine life uh, there to be harvested because the, the current is, is simply too strong. It's also so, a challenge to navigation, so, so people don't uh, always go there when they're boats either. Right. Uh, so uh, uh, when uh, in the testing phase, we're in a vessel and we're on top of the water. Uh, when we move to commercial operation, our, our turbines will be uh, under the water, will be uh, at least 40 to 45 feet below the surface in most instances, um, and there are some areas uh, off the Eastport Shore, particularly on the uh, eastern side, uh, in an area called Western Passage, which is the main New Brunswick border, where the water reaches 400 feet deep, and will be at least 65 feet below the surface there, uh, because that's a shipping channel. So when we when we move to uh, a commercial deployment uh, with either bottom-mounted systems or systems that are moored and anchored, they will be underwater and will not will not be a navigational. Nothing hazard. on the surface. That's right. More all all right from the bottom up. That's right. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and then in terms of the uh, impact on marine life, we're we're um, 
Um, part of what we're doing now and what we're doing with our uh, initial commercial installations is working with various permitting agencies in defining uh, uh, the, the, the appropriate environmental monitoring and sampling protocols for, uh, for fish, for mammals, for diving seabirds, um, um, and, and also uh, looking at impacts on the bottom in terms of uh, potential scouring around uh, what anchoring base we have, a bottom frame base we may have. One of the, uh, p- the particular nature of this, of this industry is such that, uh, and, and of our company, is while we are also pioneering the technology, we're also pioneering the environmental approach <clears throat> and helping to define the regulatory path as we make our way through it. So we, we uh, are looking to uh, obtain the right environmental data uh, such that it develops the industry standard and becomes a way for the industry to thrive and to operate in this environment. That's got to be probably just as tricky as making power, John. It, uh, uh, you're you're absolutely <laughs> correct. Huh. We we put a put a large effort um, uh, into that, um, and, and it's an important part of our company and and how we uh, need to work to build success. John, how much power are we talking about here? Well. Um, uh, let me let me walk it up in stages for you. Uh, you know, we're testing um, right now a, a, a turbine system that has a capacity rating of approximately uh, 60 kilowatts. And you know, it's not there to provide power for anybody. It's there for us to uh, measure its performance and, and also to conduct the environmental um, uh, uh, gather environmental inf- information uh, around how this fits into the marine environment. Our our first um, uh, commercial deployment, which we're hoping will happen in late 2011, will be 150 uh, uh, kilowatt rated capacity, and and uh, you know that provides power for roughly uh, 50 to 75 homes. Um, and then from there, we'll we'll go to sort of the next level up, uh, which would be adding uh, four more of that similar size. So we'll be just under a megawatt, and and that gets us into the you know 200 to 250. Uh, household uh, uh, level, um, and, th- and then eventually we're looking at a project that uh, uh, will be in the three to five megawatt range, and you know that's that's a couple thousand, uh, couple thousand homes, and then that's it for the existing pilot project permit. And what we're hoping to do through the pilot project permit phase is to establish the true commercial build-out opportunity, and uh, we have often thought that uh, that. That area around Eastport and Lubeck and, and surrounding regions uh, is perhaps a 100 megawatt uh, opportunity there, um, and uh, and you know that it'll take close to a decade for that to unfold. Um, so right now we're we're in the early stages of of building this uh, company and building this industry incrementally, and ensuring that it has initial success so that it can have. Uh, long-term sustainability in the state of Maine. That's wonderful. Sound, it does sound it's, good. I think it's great. Yeah, just by purposes of a comparison here, a, a large, uh, you know, what's becoming the uh, ordinary uh, big windmill like the ones out on Vinyl Haven, for instance, uh, they are each one and a half megawatts. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about uh, getting to 100 megawatts. Uh, so, yeah, that is that is pretty interesting. And, uh, yeah, and, and it would be in, in a variety of, or it would be several different arrays of, of turbines. Now, in, in addition to the work we're doing in Maine, we have projects in Alaska. Um, and uh, those are on a development path that are uh, 
um, you know, just trailing what happens in Eastport. So uh, much of the work that we do in Eastport also serves as um, knowledge creation uh, and uh, expertise building um, and uh, technology and engineering development and, and, and uh, environmental information acquisition that will help what happens in Alaska. So uh, what would, it's another reason why we, we look at uh, our sites in Maine as, as serving that Kitty Hawk uh, uh, designation. Excellent. We're talking this morning on Boat Talk to uh, John Furlan from Ocean Renewable Power Company down to Eastport about uh, generating tidal power with uh, paddle wheels. Pretty cool stuff. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, you're welcome. I appreciate the opportunity and, and hope to talk to you again soon. Oh, for sure, John. Thank you. Good Thank morning. You. Thank you, John. Yep, and we are just a little bit more than halfway through Boat Talk this morning. That was pretty interesting. Yeah, if you uh, have comments, here's the phone number to call, too. one 625 9378 We'll get you right into Boat Talk. Yep. Um, we did a show a couple of uh, months ago in July that I was particularly proud of, and we talked to uh, three different people about the oil spill down in the Gulf of Mexico. They've since capped that. They're uh, still trying to uh, fill the well permanently right now. But uh, there's been a little controversy. The United States government come up and says that about three-quarters of that oil has evaporated, been eaten by uh, microbes or skimmed up or just gone. Three-quarters of it all gone. No problem. Don't worry about it. And then the University of Georgia and the Woods Hole people, um, and Noah came along afterwards and says, uh, no. uh, that's not even close to true. Uh, excuse me, not even close to true. And uh, how can those two things be, like I say, and the reason why I believe this confusion exists, it's underwater. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's out of sight and out of mind. But that doesn't mean that's not there and, and not a liability and... And, oh, my God, the confusion is uh, kind of too silly for words when you get right down to it, I feel. We talked to Captain Sonny Perkins from uh, down at Penobscot, who used to uh, work on oil, uh, uh, what do you call them, anchor supply tugs for the oil companies for a number of years and worked on uh, three big spills. And, and as he describes it, you take a uh, mason jar of Gulf oil and you put it in a bucket of Gulf seawater, and it will form a ball, and it will sink right to the bottom. And immediately, a sheen will come on top of the water, and that is about 20% of the top most volatile element of the crude. Mm -hmm. And crude varies chemically around the world. That's why we have refineries to take it apart. It's complex chemistry. Now, yeah. the Gulf oil sinks, makes a ball, and that ball then throws off little tendrils, kind of like a lava lamp, and there's your <laughs> oil spill. There's the plume that is, has been found that is uh, suspended in the water. The ball's on the bottom. And the stuff on the top was the least of it. And we talked about that in July on Boat Talk. I believe it's still up on the website at BoatTalk.org. Uh, recommend you listen to that if you're at all interested. And uh, they're confused. We're not. And, uh, you know, wow. And, again, the power of out of sight, out of mind, and underwater, I don't think, can be exaggerated. Well, there is a lot down there. I've heard reports, too, that they say 80% is, is still there. It's got to be. And again, uh, you know, will that have consequences? Uh, it kind of seems yeah, it's got to, too. Can't be real good to tar over the whole bottom of the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, at but some point. Like you said, there's different kinds of oil all over the world. The viscosity is totally different. different yeah. Uh, he described, uh, like I say, uh, Nigerian crude is kind of paraffin-based, okay? And, and it doesn't really have that volatile element. 
Alaskan crude really does. You open up a mason jar and light a light a match, the, the match is going to go poofy and get it near that jar. The Nigerian, you could lay it on it, and you might light it like Sterno, and maybe not. The Louisiana crude's kind of in between. And again, this is, uh, we talked to... Uh, Sonny, Captain Sonny Perkins from uh, Penobscot in July. Yeah, that was just uh, a crude estimate. Right a crude estimate, yes. one 625 9378 is uh, the phone number here talking about crude things. We'll speak to ourselves if you don't give us a call. We're doing boat talk this morning. I like to talk to you about anything. Ran across a little interesting article of uh, while they're working at the uh, World Trade Center down there making some more um, buildings in the area, they came across a... Uh, it, down in the mud, a ship from the, I guess it was the 17th century, 16th, no, oh, 18th century. I forget just when the date of the ship is, but. Um, Water fill at it, the end of Manhattan it, there. What they, what they figured island. was, it was an old boat that would had, his time was for sailing had gone by, and they were just going to beach it out and sort of use it as a riprap or something to help uh, do landfill so they could make some more uh, more buildings in New York City. Interesting. Well, there used to be abandoned big sailing vessels all over the coast of Maine. When I first was uh, running boats up here, it's amazing the oh, yeah. different sets of bones that were around on ledges and bars and oh, stuff. Well, Cassett, of course, was the, the yeah, prime example. They're, they're, they're around many places. They're, you can go around still find the remains of them. Yeah, I go on right by my house. Well, a lot of those old wooden boats did live pretty long lives, but uh, in general, the working life of them was, what, 20, 30 years if, if they were well-kept, more yeah. or less, right? Some of them some went much, much longer. I yeah. Mean, it was one old small sailing vessel that that worked uh, something like 105 years. Wow. I think it has partly to do with uh, what waters they stay in or out of, too. Well, that was that was that they are in cold water, but they... They were well built, well built boats, very yeah. well built out of good material, mm-hmm. and uh, they lasted a long time in rough use. Yep, and those boats that were built on the bank of uh, the river in Waldeboro and stuff, uh, those weren't uh, exclusively at all built out of good Maine wood either. They uh, imported wood from down south. They would send people down into the woods down south, cut it. Got with it. patterns, get it to shape in the That's woods, correct. ship it back to Walderboro, yeah. partly already cut out, and then erect that thing in about yeah. a year with minimal, if any, power tools. Well, they had to outside. do that because they had to cut the wood while it was still green and yeah. easier to cut. Yeah. And uh, in, in South Carolina, there's still a lot of live oak laying around that nobody uses. Yeah. It's good material. Interesting. Now, speaking of uh, different kind of ships on the coast, I saw a little thing on the uh, TV news this morning out of Portland. We are expecting six cruise ships on the coast of Maine this week, and uh, a bunch of them are new to the area. The business is ramping up on the coast of Maine. Uh, more more cruise ships are, are out there, and more of them are coming here and uh, going down to the Maritimes, too. These six ships, uh, they mentioned mostly the ones that were going into Portland, represent 10,000 tourists brought to, brought to the coast of Maine uh, just this week. And uh, we saw a uh, cruise ship off of uh, last Saturday night off of uh, Portsmouth again, uh, ways out in the middle there. We passed one in the middle of the night. All, they're great to look at in the night. They're <laughs> brightly, brightly, a lot of lights. Oh, yeah. Big ship. And uh, Giffy, I don't know what you make of this. Uh, we've talked about it a little bit before, but we're down in Newport. Um, the other day, come back last night, and we uh, docked. Uh, we brought down a Chuck Payne, a 45-foot 
built French and uh, French and Webb built it. Yep. Wooden boat, just exquisite. Yeah. Sitka yeah. spruce and mahogany on the inside, and it says that. Uh, some people say it's like uh, being inside of a guitar. It was be- oh, it was beautiful. And well, their work is sail. their work is excellent. They, was outstanding. They, outstanding yeah. work. And everywhere we went, people called out, "Hey, that's a beautiful boat." We uh, were cleaning her in uh, Newport the other day, and a bunch of tourist boat kept coming by, and, and <laughs> they were they were pointing us out pretty hard. But we are moored in the nest of uh, some very very large uh, private uh, motor yachts. Okay, and by very large, the one we were next to was the smallest one there. It was 180 feet long. It is flying the flag of the Grenadine Islands, and uh, they have another boat. Those people, and it has the American flag on it. It's 200 and something feet, and they're stretching it 80 feet right now. They cut the stern off, and they're gonna make it longer. So anyway, they they have one boat with the flag of the Grenadines. Um, no property owned in the Grenadines. It's a flag of convenience. Saw one boat repeatedly with the uh, the summer with the flag of the Marshall Islands proudly flying on it. You see the Cayman Islands everywhere. Everywhere. It's very rare. We call those boats heavy metal. Those big, big mega power yachts. Yeah. We call them heavy metal. And to see one with the American flag on it is the rarest thing. Now we did see one in Newport Harbor that was flying the American flag. Yeah. It was probably just under a hundred feet. And you know what it was called, Giffy? Hooter Patrol Number Four. Hooter Patrol 4. That one was flying the American flag. Didn't see no Hooter patrolling going on. It was all dark. They can't, they can't even come up with a proper name. No. Well, um, those boats, uh, needless to say, are, are uh, you know, I'm assuming owned by Americans who are, I hate to think, uh, you know, raking it off the top a little too hard right now. Yeah. And again, what price the American flag? Um, I kind of like to see it um, yeah, on I the do back too. of the boat. It would be very important to me. Yeah. yeah. Now, Senator John Kerry just got in a big kerfuffle. He got himself a $7.5 million sailboat, and he registered it in the state of Rhode Island. Senator John Kerry is a senator from well, the state of Massachusetts. It's totally legal to do. It is, but he avoided, I forget that's how, correct. several hundred thousand dollars of tax with that move. On the back of his boat now, it has to say the name of the boat, and the hail has to be Rhode Island. Right. Now, if he wants to buy... The world word Massachusetts on the back of his boat is going to cost him a couple hundred thousand dollars, and he got shamed into doing it because he's the senator from Massachusetts. Well, the, the people in Rhode Island realized that if they took off some of those ridiculous taxes, it would bring business there yeah. and bring jobs there, general employment all over the area, you which it has done. Okay. Oh, you wouldn't believe how Newport Harbor and, was buzzing right. with people fixing boats. I used to go day. to Newport when there were no boats there. There were no boats. There might be five or six boats there, seriously, back in the early 50s. And and if Maine had reduced some of their taxes, it would be better for general business here. But uh, it's hard to make people understand that. Uh, Giffy says five or six boats, I would estimate, uh, yesterday in Newport Harbor. There were uh, probably not a 1,000, but more than, uh, oh, you know, yeah. between Very 500 and 1,000. They're cramming them in this week as the Newport Boat Show. We brought a boat. Uh, but the yards there have all, have all been busy and get a lot of work there. Yeah. And uh, you got you got to see through the tax angle to, to, and, and uh, balance it off uh, against employment and business. Business is what keeps the country moving. No right. business, no work, no income. Hey, I have uh, 
in our delivery career, we get to work for a lot of uh, investment bankers and money people, okay? And, and sometimes we stay at their houses and get to socialize with them. And I've had a question I've been asking them for about uh, 15, 12, 15 years now. Asked a couple dozen people this question. Can we all make money just by messing around with money, or does somebody have to do work and make stuff? And only two of them have said, you're right, people need to make stuff. Work is what it all rests on. And one of them says, we got no idea. And the other two dozen says, you don't understand the world nowadays, do you, mm -hmm. son? And I couldn't agree with you more, Giffy. I do understand that we have a phone call, though, so let's go to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hi. Uh, my name's Carl from Hope. Hi, Carl. And uh, I, I, when I was calling in, I kind of missed the Hooter Patrol, but uh, we don't need to go back there. Uh, <laughs> we'll keep you abreast of that situation. <laughs> okay. Yeah, great. Uh, now back to the energy stuff. Uh, I read in, I think, Popular Science about a project in the British Isles that's been going for quite a while that was uh, an underwater cave. I, and I'm wondering if you guys know about that. And uh, what the principle was that there were big rollers coming in there all the time. And they would roar into this long cave down a kind of a ravine at tidal level, I guess, and, and compress uh, the air inside the cave and run a turbine. Hmm. And it's just that it's, Sounded like such a nifty idea, you know, that uh, if there was enough volume there and uh, a nice big flywheel or something, it seems like that would motivate something. Motion is energy, yeah, Carl. Uh, energy being used instead of wasted, and, and Maine is full of places where there's all kind of energy. I could name a half a dozen very easily where there's very, very strong tidal currents right, that, that right. could be used and you're not we're not talking about damming places up we're talking about what you 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 use flowing through there four times a day at least yep. and uh it's just all kind of horsepower and uh, there's no reason not to use it it's clean uh the way you'd use it you wouldn't even see anything wouldn't right. even see anything and i i think back to earlier times uh, you know, there was a, a little generator that people used to use and probably still some pe people still use them. Small generators, they'd tow behind a sailboat on a long trip, particularly, you know, these world voyagers. And those little generators would charge their batteries. Yep. They'd just tow them through the water. Yep. Well, Plastiki, the people that we talked with uh yeah, the almost a year ago they did that. Made out of soda bottles, going to look for the plastic right. garbage yeah. patch out in the Pacific. There, they, they towed a generator. Uh, they also had uh, ex exercise bicycles hooked up to that same generator too. So if they the crew like, could pedal and charge the batteries. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know if I want that. that now watch. wait a minute, that goes back to. to, to <laughs> now this is Kyle again. I just, I, I'm listening in, so I'll, I'll just uh, hang up and listen in. But I, I've been listening a long time, and I really appreciate the show. Thank well, you. Well, yeah, yeah, thank you. That's a good little add on, Carl. We thank you. Good yeah, morning. Well, yeah. If anybody does know about that, uh, yeah, English, air compression uh, thing. That sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, and again, motion is energy, and we got so much water moving. Well, you look at the compression that happens just at um, Thunder Hole over in Bar Harbor. Yeah, there. there's yeah. some pretty well, powerful. You just look at go up here to Millbridge. And, and look at that current roar, roaring through there. It's uh, yeah. 
the uh, uh, tidal range varies around the world from place to place and by geography. And uh, here uh, in uh, Blue Hill, for instance, we've got a 10-foot average tide. But down in Eastport, the average tide is about double that or more. Yeah. And, uh, again, that's one of the most remarkable places on the planet there, the Bay of Funday. But so is the whole Gulf of Maine. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I say, it's uh, just waiting for uh, some creative solution. Uh, well, we look at the think water here. that flows through the Saint Ju- Saint the Narrows and, and uh, Saint John. Right. You, you only got a few minutes that you can go up across that reverse and falls with any reasonable comfort. Yeah. Um, the race off of the tip of Long Island. Yeah. For instance, uh, you got them in, yeah, tip uh, of Long Hell's Island. Gate going down the East River. Oh, man, the, oh yeah. I'm just thinking Woods of the, Yeah. Vineyard uh, Sound. Uh, Portsmouth uh, Harbor there, yeah. the water ripping through the river there. Yeah. Uh, just for instance, thinking all, all the places many, we fear. There's many, many opportunities to develop clean uh, energy from those sources. Yeah. And they, they and they wouldn't, it would never be unsightly. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Hey, uh, we're once again, we're doing boat talk this morning. We're running up uh, about uh, 10 minutes or so to the end of it here. Give us a call, one 625 Seven eight, or we'll just talk with ourselves. And uh, can I tell one more sea story here? We were uh, about two Sunday nights ago. We were uh, had to go into Provincetown, Cape Cod, to uh, get fuel at about. So we're trying to catch the fuel dock for it closed at six. We didn't get there till ten past. <laughs> but they they came back for us in another boat. All worked out great. Okay. So anyway, we're we're leaving Provincetown Harbor, and we're uh, going right out the tippy tip of the curl of of Cape Cod is right there. On the inside of the beach, there's 200 people having a party in a green striped tent, some of them naked, uh, down in the water and on the beach and stuff, and that's great. They're having a good time. We come around the uh, sunset, and uh, we come around the corner of the tippy tip of the Cape, and here's a pirate ship. It's the Kuiper. It's uh, the sailing ship of the state of Delaware, and it looks like a 16th century rig, and she's flying some strange sails. She has a little mast on her bowsprit that's just like I say, you don't see that much anymore. Yard, yard on the boat. Yeah, um, the stern castle, we're thinking Columbus-type ships here, okay, and the big stern castle uh, house there has a decorative rail around the outside. It's ringed with skulls, and she's pierced for four guns on a side, and we come right alongside of her. She's hauling tourists out of Provincetown Harbor, and uh, we think we'll range by her with false colors and then put up her real flag as we cross <laughs> her stern and rake her, and we have pictures, and we'll put them up on the website. So we passed the Kuiper there, and we're coming right around the tip-tip of Cape Cod. And uh, we see some fins in the water, and it looks like several sharks. So we take her out of gear, and we drift over there. And as we're coming up on it, and again, we've got pictures of this. We'll put them up on the website at BoatTalk.org as quick as we can. But um, it looks like several sharks and pretty big fins. And as we coast up on it, no, it's one fish. And it's probably a basking shark. And it's probably, we're in a 38-foot boat, and it's probably, it's a little bit longer than us. And we went right alongside of it. And he's filter feeding, and he's 200 yards off the other side of the beach from them 200 people having the party. <laughs> but he's a filter feeder, yeah. and none of them are aware or a threat to each or he other. He can suck up a few small babies. <laughs> yeah, and his his uh, uh, tail fin would go so far from side to side that when it was all the way over to the side, it didn't even come close to lining up with his other fins. His dorsal fin and his pectoral fins mm. are showing too, and we got a picture with him uh, side to us, and his tail fin is on one side of the frame, pector- uh, the the uh, back fin, the dorsal, dorsal fin, fin yeah. in the middle of the frame, and the pectoral fins are on the other side of the frame, and its head's on now, the other side of the pectoral fins are the ones that are sort of just, like its just, arms. Just behind, yeah, yeah. By, by the gills there. Swimmers there. And, yeah. and uh, 
So anyway, and the space between those fins need to be, you got to look at that. And that fish, again, was probably about four. It's the basking shark and the uh, whale sharks are the two biggest fish on Earth. And we drifted up on one, you know, just by happenstance off the tip of Cape Cod two Sunday nights ago. And, and it was cool. And uh, he just cruising along. We were having uh, crackers and brie and, and stinky blue cheese. And he was having, uh, what, plankton. <laughs> You're all and, basking in the ple- pleasures of life. And he is a mostly a temperate-minded uh, fish. But, you know, they come up here sometimes uh, when they feel like it. And then there, there we all were. So mm-hmm. right on. And, again, sunset right on the tip of Cape Cod. It was quite a sight. We're getting uh, some uh, swordfish. Swordfish or sailfish are being caught right offshore here now, too. It's, we're getting some... Uh, Warm water fish up here. I guess another sign of global warming, huh? Saw uh, a, a friend uh, saw a tuna jump right out of the water, and and uh, that was in Cape Cod Bay this summer, right mm-hmm. beside the boat. She thought uh, about an 80, 80 pound tuna, and talked to some people in Rockland that were vacationing out on Matinicus. They caught tuna off the end of of the uh, harbor from land. Wow! Yes, they caught Holy four cow. of them, little uh, twenty pounders. They said. Yeah, that that shouldn't be unusual. I mean, tuna fish go all the way to Nova Scotia. Yeah, and swordfish. It's not unusual. The reason you don't see so many swordfish is they've been fished. Yeah. And but them tuna are fast, and they cover a lot of ground. Of course, they're nursery areas. The I Gulf always of thought Mexico. they were sort of deep water things, so I don't wouldn't expect to see them that close to shore. But I guess obviously they do. Yeah. Last year we were in Provincetown Harbor getting uh, fuel and. Uh, a little lobster boat came in, and he had a big tuna there hoisting it up right next to us on the dock, and uh, that was the fourth one he'd caught, and the name of the little lobster boat was Bad Dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they get good money for those because they fill oh, yeah. up the ice. Oh, no, yeah. Those are pretty, those are some very happy fishermen. Yeah. So anyway, and um, a while back on Boat Talk, we talked about some uh, prehistoric uh, artifacts that were Stone Age tools that were found underwater in, by a scallop dredge yeah, off of up. Bass Harbor. On a high spot, about 90-foot spot in 130-foot water, off right on the mouth of Bass Harbor. Okay, uh, Scientists from the uh, University of Maine have now established that at that time, that was probably a lake uh, that was, as the sea level was being raised, got drowned by the ocean. And uh, is now a high spot in the topography underwater off of Bass Harbor. Um, we touched these things, and it looks like a rock. But when you hold it in your hand, you get it immediately. Yeah, that, that little they, adds they do. with the sharp edge on it. And but it looks like a rock when it comes up in the scallop drag. But uh, like say uh, Dr. Franklin Price, we talked to on Boat Talk and uh, the Bangor Daily on uh, August thirteenth did a front page article on the uh, uh, got a great picture of what used to be the underwater lake, the way the artist would see it, and uh, you know now underwater lake. And uh, again, you talk about history and water moving. Uh, there we go. Did the phone just ring again? It, maybe. But yeah, because we'll we're coming right up on the end of Boat yeah, Talk here. Just a couple of minutes left. Yeah, and uh, we've just been babbling about all kinds of stuff. This, we do have uh, one final phone call. Yeah, though. good. <laughs> see if we can squeeze him in. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning, gentlemen. I got a question for you. I'm. Um, uh, this is uh, uh, Bennett calling from uh, 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 Brooks. Oh, hi, Bennett. And I'm I'm headed down on a boat uh, right now. We're um, I had uh, I've um, um, I've got a, uh, a little twenty six foot sailboat I've been working on, and uh, it became clear that I was not going to um, I was not going to be able to head south as I had planned, 
And I say the only thing better than headed south on your own boat is headed south on uh, 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 somebody else's boat. And being paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, uh, um, I've uh, uh, finagled my, my way as a crew onto a boat headed down, um, down to San Juan, Puerto Rico, the first week of November. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a trip that I've never done. The captain I'm going with, I don't think he's ever um, uh, done this trip either. And I... And I know some of some of you have uh, uh, have done similar trips, and just wondered if there was sort of any advice you could give me to pass on to the uh, I, captain for that. For are that we are we trip. going Are we going by way of Bermuda, or are we going down to Florida? We're going by way of Bermuda, possibly stopping in Bermuda, possibly not, depending upon weather. Oh, you got to. Changes. Oh, yeah. You yeah, have to stop. stop in Bermuda. It's it's absolutely it'd be foolish not to. Uh, that? You want to get fuel. You want to rest up, and uh, again, you want to go into the White Horse Tavern and have a burger and a beer. Yeah, yeah. the rum's really cheap. What I was thinking. So good. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are sort of the most important thing is get a uh, the weather wise a window of opportunity. Right. Yep, and again, uh, there are people that do nothing but uh, forecast the weather for cruising boats. uh, Bob Rice weather window. uh, There's a fellow in Ontario named Herb Higginbottom that puts up a a broadcast uh, every night that you can listen into on the single sideman. It's priceless. And you got to... uh, the hard part's getting to Bermuda, you know. You could right. have a bit of a slog getting to Bermuda. It's downhill after that, okay. or, according to theory. <laughs> <laughs> right. However, you know how theory works out sometimes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, boy, have a good trip. Bring uh, plenty of warm clothes to get you to Bermuda. Well, that's sort of the thing. You have to sort of be ready for winter and then be ready for uh, summer, and you'll wind up with, a, with, a, with two-thirds of your uh, uh, sea, sea bag being, being full of wool. Yeah. And again, you can uh, run into some weather. We run into a force ten gale going uh, to to uh, Caribbean one time, and I got shipwrecked in Bermuda for about twelve weeks. It's yeah. a great place to hang out, but it's expensive, Bennett too. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So uh, be careful when you're, uh, like, say, yep. buying burgers and beers there at the White Horse. Well, I was. Uh, that's actually good. I was actually trying to trying to convince the the uh, captain that we that we really needed to stop in. For uh, Muta, but he sort of he was sort of held held bent to just get down there. As, you know, it's sort of fast as he. You got to the other way to get there. Of course, to go down the intercoastal to Florida, but then to get nah, to it's a long way. Yeah, it's a long, it's a long way. ways, and then I, I believe to get to I'm not sure Puerto Rico, but the uh, Caribbean, uh, St. John, and all that. Right. Uh, is a windward beat after that yeah, instead of going. Yeah, Florida had winds and it's yeah. Yeah. yeah, and Bermuda is just a wonderful, wonderful little uh, island, and, and uh, I believe you're going to kind of enjoy it. Well, good. Yeah, take some pictures, man, and, okay. uh, you know, get back in touch and tell us some stories. Okay, we will do. Travel safely. Make sure you got a well-equipped boat when you're <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Uh, we run her into the end of Boat Talk this morning. Giffy, we can't thank you enough for coming around. And, and again, the Boat Talk cruise coming up October 2nd. Tickets are underpriced at $15. you got to get on the boat. Um, pretty cool. We do this uh, every second Tuesday of the month. I'm back tomorrow morning playing music on the Barefoot Blues Hour, and Alan back on Thursday doing Extra Large Souls show. Yeah. We're uh, allegedly multi-talented, but, you know, we just do what we do. Call it Boat Talk, and I hope you liked it. All right. Stay tuned for Jim Pahooch coming up next here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill.